0: This is the BBC.
1: This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts.
2: Available every day during the Cricket World Cup. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live.
3: Williamson lifts it for six. He lifts it for six into the holly stand. It's 100 for Kane Williamson. And it's just about victory for New Zealand. And what a brilliant innings that has been from New Zealand's captain. He's had to sweat hard today. It's been a monumental innings of patience, determination and skill as well. Hello and welcome to Edgbaston. I'm Simon Mann. We've had the tournament's closest finish here as New Zealand squeezed past South Africa in the final over thanks to a captain's hundred from Kane Williamson. A brilliant innings coming up. We'll look back on this fantastic finish We'll also get a fascinating insight from Chris Wokes what it's like bowling at the death in a match and the thinking that goes into it and we we'll get a stark warning for the future of South African cricket but we begin here in Birmingham the TMS podcast
2: available every day during the cricket world cup
3: a victory for new zealand by four wickets with three balls to spare and a magnificent a truly magnificent innings from kane williamson new zealand's captain Jeremy Coney is alongside me, so to Natalie uh, Germanos. Let's hear from you first, uh, Natalie. Um, South Africa has been a hugely disappointing World Cup for them. They they pushed New Zealand all the way today, but it feels as though that might just about be it.
1: Yeah, unfortunately for South Africa, it probably is. Um, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be interested, obviously we, we don't know how South Africa might have played today if the World Cup up until this point had gone a little bit differently for them. Would they have played with a, a little bit more freedom possibly with the bat? Maybe they would have, would have and they would have had maybe 260 on the board. It might have been a different, a different day, who knows. But I, I think from South Africa's point of view, looking forward, they know that they've got... Also tough matches still to come because they've got to play Pakistan. They've got a, a, their last game against Australia as well. That's that, that's pretty tough from their point of view, and they know that unfortunately now it looks like the semi-final spots are probably out of reach. If they're going to win the last three games that are left, they have nine points, and don't see them going through to the semi-final on nine points. It's highly unlikely. So it's a, it's a, a day of. Um, Disappointments, I would reckon, for South Africa in a lot of ways.
3: But a, a game of, or a day of absolute jubilation for New Zealand. Not a you know, romping victory, but they, they got those three wins in the bag. They weren't really tested so much in the first three games, but goodness me, Jeremy, they
4: were tested today. And they'll be better for it, Simon, I think. I mean, it was a full workout, so that New Zealand got 50 overs in the field. I think they trusted their bowlers early on to to be consistent, more consistent than their batsmen have been. And so that's probably why they chose to bowl first, even if they didn't look, look down and they looked up and saw the lower clouds at the time of the toss. That cleared away quite quickly. There wasn't much action from the pitch other than the fact that it was slow and that it gripped a little bit and the slow bowlers would have got perhaps a bit more. So I think both sides missed a wee trick actually, and just playing one spinner, to be honest. Um, if you look at uh, de Grondon, uh the way that he bowled, the slower kind of medium-fast bowling, he was miserly, uh, and also Santner, even though you know he bowled nine overs, but he bowled reeled off seven, I think, quite quickly, and it was his partnership with de Grandom in that South African innings that put the brakes on uh, just after the first ten overs that really affected that innings and left them with a lot of work to do to get up with a target. So, yeah, and I mean Guptil he'll he'll be a, you know a bit disappointed with the way he trod on his wicket. So there was a little bit of bad luck along the way but williamson is the man who stands out as being the rock upon which the new zealand result was founded and south africa they they had their chances to dismiss
3: him
1: yeah absolutely the catch behind being the the major one um which imran Tahir thought there was definitely an edge on it quinton cock didn't hear an edge or or see any kind of deflection into his gloves and actually looking at the, the ultra edge it shows that there was a little deflection went off the face of the bat and just into the gloves and it, it was a good take in the end by Quentin Kock, actually behind the stumps but Imran Tahir thinking there was an edge South Africa decided not to go upstairs was it worth actually trying even if du Plessis thought, well, I don't think there's anything on it, but it might have actually been worth it at that stage. because I think Williamson was on 70-odd, I think, at the yep. time. So it might have actually been worth it from South Africa's point of view just to even try. And if they happened to lose the review, I don't think you would have blamed them for going upstairs at that stage, actually, so it actually might have been worth it.
3: Williamson was on 76, and the score was 173 for yeah. five, and it, yeah, it felt a big moment at the time it feels an even bigger moment at the uh, conclusion of the match there was a run out opportunity as well where the ball wasn't taken clean at the stumps the throw wasn't great either and uh, Williamson was absolutely nowhere there was another moment as well where Miller tried to take a a catch at Midweek that would have been a a fantastic catch so it was nearly day uh, for South Africa but uh, they don't count.
1: No they don't count and and South Africa will know that You know, I suppose Graham Smith actually in the last game put it quite well in that he said you to make to have luck you need to make your own luck and you generally do that by playing well and has South Africa done that through the tournament no they haven't They had a much better day today than they've had through the tournament um, that could have been even better though I suppose if their batters were a little bit more free and got them to a, a stage where they could have had maybe 260 70 on the board possibly 280 even and then obviously from a fielding perspective it could have just been they could have taken it up a notch as well so did they make their own luck? Probably not, but it certainly was a much better performance than we've seen from them through the tournament. But unfortunately, the poor performances in their first three games has resulted in them being in this position.
3: What, what about, about New Zealanders' potential World Cup winners, uh, Jeremy? They, It looks as if. I mean, they're, they're very well placed for a semi-final spot now. They haven't guaranteed
4: it. Probably no. one more win um, might well be enough. one more win would, would probably yeah. get them over the line. Um, they've got Pakistan coming up. Shortly, they've got uh, the West Indies as well at Old Trafford, so that's coming up I think Saturday, and then next week it'll be here back here again uh, against Pakistan, and then the last two matches, of course, are the big ones with Australia, Lords, and then up at, uh, at Durham for, for the English one to fi- to finalise their tournament. Uh, so in that in that sort of period of the game, so I yeah I think that New Zealand will again look at certain things and they'll say that they can be better but at least they got a a lot of pressure today the first time there's been real pressure upon them and how they've responded Williamson obviously has come through that pretty well. I thought De Grandhomme, his the way he came out and batted today, uh, was pretty good. Nisham had a bit of an innings today as well. So there were some positive things there. They'll worry about Taylor. They'll worry a bit about Latham, I think, in that sort of four-five position. Taylor's got himself out the same way twice. He's got to work on something there. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, do they change Munro at opener? I don't know those. Those are issues they need to work out. What do you think about New Zealand, Natalie, as potential World Cup winners?
1: Um, I think they're going to. If you look at the, the teams that obviously have been the favourites going into the tournament in India, England, and. Australia obviously have been one of the favourites as well they may be also struggling a little bit in terms of having a frontline spinner that will do some damage towards the back end of the tournament and also from a batting perspective they rely heavily on the likes of Steve Smith and David Warner if you look at those, those teams they, they have a pretty complete team and they certainly have a really strong batting lineup. both of them good bowling lineups as well do they compare with them? yeah they probably do I think New Zealand have got a team that works well together which is really good. On the day, they work very well together. They've got good intensity in the field. They, they do well for each other as well. I think in the tense situations, Kane Williamson leads them really well. So that's a good opportunity possibly for New Zealand to do something very, very special.
4: Bowling, strong and batting? Yes, at the moment. Batting will get better, I think. They'll be better for this knock, particularly, as I say, Nisham, De Grandon, and Santner. So that 7-8-9, where you need those runs towards at the inner tight match. Uh, and, you know, New Zealand, um, I, I personally don't see them as winning the World Cup. Uh, I think that those other sides that Natalie's mentioned, I think they just have a little bit too much at the moment. for for New Zealand, but who knows, if they go through these next couple of games and they'll, if they continue to improve under pressure, anything can happen once you're in a knockout match, can't it, really? We haven't talked much about
3: of late about Williamson's innings, Uh, just sort of assess it and assess its,
4: its level of quality. It was a mental quality I thought I saw from Kane Williamson today because he didn't look comfortable, he couldn't play the shots that he normally plays. Uh, He found the field a lot uh, today, and that frustrated him in addition to the fact that there was lack of pace. And it's very frustrating when you get a ball you know you can score from, and suddenly it comes off an inside edge because it hasn't arrived, and it trickles out to mid on So he had to battle himself, those demons inside yourself, and say, just hang in here, hang in here. I can do this. And he trusted that instinct, I think, and to get, you know, that little boundary as you... Pointed out the one to third man, the last ball of the second over to go was a critical one. Instead of chasing 12 runs, they needed eight.
3: The amazing thing about that
4: came. stroke was that it was a slower ball well, too. But also in some
3: batsmen, a lot of batsmen, in, your instinct in that situation is to try to beast the ball, isn't yes. it? Trying but you know, to have that confidence he cushioned and it. calmness, just yeah. to play a little deft, open faced
4: Stroke. I mean, it's remarkable batting, really. He did, uh, and then even, and also the last, the six helped obviously. I mean, that was the first one I felt he'd really middled for a long time. So Peck just missed his missed his little mark a bit, and Williamson had been in long enough to take toll of it. So. I just think a fantastic innings from a mind point of view. He's taught his team a lot there, I think.
3: And Pellegrini having to bowl the final over, it probably costs South Africa.
1: Well, today, yes. He's done it before, and he's done it really well before. He's actually bowled really well at the death, and he, and he, he generally is a player that doesn't allow the nerves to get to him in that final over. Um... He just had a bad day at the office today, Petlaquaio. He's had a very good World Cup so far. He's been brilliant with the ball in particular. He hasn't done a lot with the bats. He hasn't too, had too many opportunities necessarily. But with the ball, he's had a really, really good World Cup and probably been one of South Africa's better players through this World Cup. Him along with Rassi van Dussen. But Petlacquai has done it before where he's had opportunities to bowl the final over. Had very little to defend but has done it really well. He just unfortunately had a bad day at the office and and maybe in a way didn't have enough to defend in that final over.
3: Natalie and Jeremy, thank you. Andy Zaltzman has watched the match alongside me. What have you got for us, Andy? Well, it was clearly a game that, Transcended statistics. It was just an exciting game.
2: But there were some quite interesting little nuggets to come out of it. New Zealand have now won 10 in a row in group stage matches in uh, World Cups. Um, And um, Colin de Gronholm, superb all-round performance, his uh, 60, uh, was the second highest score in World Cups by someone batting at 7 or below in a successful chase. And uh, only Derek Murray, who made 61 in a chase in 1975, has scored
3: more from 7 downwards in a winning World Cup chase. On this ground as well Derek yeah. Murray back in 1975 and he didn't even get the player of the m- match award Colin de despite a, a brilliant all-round performance. Yeah, bowled 10 overs for uh, one wicket for th- for 33. Kane Williamson who did
2: win the uh, uh, man of the match award it was uh, the sixth unbeaten century by a captain in a World Cup chase. A uh, successful chase um, and uh, New Zealand. Um, it's the this is the 18th last over finish there's been in World Cup history. New Zealand have won three of them, including one on this ground in 1983, uh, featuring uh, Jeremy Coney, who we ju- just heard from, and I just asked him uh, about it. Said, uh, what, "What do you remember about it?" And he said, oh, "Not a lot really." And then he said he thought about <laughs> it, but he says, "Oh no, I think I was about 60 knots out at the end as they won by two <laughs> wickets with one ball to spare."
3: <laughs> well, so. it was a very it was a very long day. The match finished at. Gone ten to eight, it was supposed to be a ten thirty start, but we had a delay because of the overnight rain. And on Williamson's innings, it was a, a incredible
2: finish. He finished with 4 6 4. A delicate glide off the outside, as a glorious sort of slog swept six, and then another a late cut. He'd hit only two boundaries in his previous ninety-one deliveries. He hit five in his first forty-four, then two from ninety-one, got to the end and
3: finished it like a surgeon. Let's hear from him. He's with Brian Waddle
2: kane Williamson. I wonder whether sometimes one century means more than many others. You've had a few, but that has to be pretty special, doesn't it? Yeah.
5: Um. Obviously, a, a lot of tough graft out there. It was sort of the, the nature of the surface, and we know the quality side that we're up against. So we were trying to weather some uh, some tough periods. And look, I was very fortunate to be a part of partnerships where other guys came in and and really put their foot down. Like the Grunholm's innings was just superb. So it was just great to be able to build those partnerships, be at the other end, and and try and. Um, take the game deep, but um, yeah, great to, to get across the line for us. It's, it was about 10, 10 or 12 days between games, so um, then you come out on a surface like that where um, the guys adapted beautifully in the first half and the second half. You picked up the 100 with that 6 into the stand. But you look before that for a while as though you were just struggling to get your rhythm going. <laughs> yeah, there was not a huge amount of rhythm out there. And when I did, I sort of hit a fielder. So, um, But then it's just trying to deal with that and know that the game's actually not getting too far away from you because of the the total. So sort of putting your own sort of uh, things aside and, and just looking at the, the scorecard and how you want to try and um, sort of set it up and um, you know th- like those partnerships are really important for that so um, yeah I mean I didn't feel like I had the ball poorly I just when I did hit it well I hit it straight to him field him it off got a bit of work but um, look, it was a, a really good game of cricket to be a part of, and great to come out with a win. Congratulations, well done. Cheers, thank you. Well,
3: that's Kane Williamson with Brian Waddle. He also spoke to South Africa's captain Faf du Plessis. Faf,
2: a great game of cricket, and so excruciating to get so close and fall short.
6: Yeah, it's obviously really disappointing for us. Um, we we fought extremely hard. We threw everything we had, um, but Kane was too good for us today. You know, he, was, he he showed how to score runs on a on a tough wicket. And uh, I think there was a difference, you know, 20 runs that we were looking for with a bat especially. It's just one guy just hanging in there and taking that um, that one score that goes a little bit bigger because it is easier for a guy that's in than, you know, guys keep coming in and trying to get um, a, a quick start. I guess you can regret a few missed chances too in the field. Yeah, the run out of Kane. Um, is, is I think he threw the ball and it actually hit a bit of a foot hole there. Um, so not ideal for us that... Um, you mentioned something about, about Kane nicking a ball of Imran, but none of us even knew about that, and even Kane didn't hear yeah. it. Um, so that's yeah, that's. But I thought we were good in the field. You know, we were, we, we threw ourselves, we stopped a lot of balls. Um, there were some really decent catches taken. Um, yeah, so I can't fault the guys' effort today in the field.
5: What are
2: you going to have to do now to pick the side up?
6: Yeah, it's been a tough. It's been a tough campaign for us. You know, it feels like we we constantly have to go back and make sure we. You know, keep the boys, grill them up to fight again and come back and fight again. So it does take the wind out of your soul. Uh, But we are a a proud team and a very determined team, so we'll keep fighting. Thanks very much and all the best for the remaining games. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. The TMS
3: Podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Now, on the TMS podcast, we've been bringing you exclusive content with the England players today after a thrilling finish here at Edgbaston. We're going to get an insight into what it's like to bowl the last over of an innings, especially when you've got a total to defend. Chris Wokes has been explaining everything to Eleanor Aldroyd. I'm going to
7: start you off, Chris, with a little bit of a a quiz about your stats on this, because we've looked all this up. Now, you've bowled in 87 innings in total. How many times do you think you've bowled the 50th over of a match?
0: 50th over of a match? Oh, God, out of 87? Hmm. Um, uh, Not that many, I would have said. Maybe 20?
7: You know, you're only one out. 19 times in total um, and seven, seven times in the second innings. You've bowled 36 balls in total in the 50th over of a second innings. Yeah. How many runs do you think you've gone for out of 36?
0: 36 balls. More than a run a ball. Comfortably, probably. Um, I'm not sure if I want to know the answer to this or not. But um, not I bad. know. Probably, oh, I don't know, 55?
7: No, less than that, 47. Okay. That's all right. That's good. That's, that's, you know,
0: respectable. Quite pleasant, actually. Yeah, so Quite pl- pleased with that.
7: <laughs> you've bowled a total, then, of 106 deliveries... In the 50th over, so that's first and second innings. How many runs do you think you've gone for? So that's out of
0: 106. 106 balls. um, And these are all in the 50th over. Again, 106, maybe 140?
7: 150. I'm going to say 150, but I try to give
0: myself a benefit of the doubt. (laughs) I shouldn't have then, should I?
7: And how many wickets do you think you've taken in that time?
0: Um... I can't remember taking many wickets in the last overs of games, actually. Generally, try and hide the ball in the last over, so it doesn't really generate many wickets. Um, try and give it away from the stumps. Um, probably oh, 106 deliveries, I'd say maybe four wickets.
7: Hmm. Well, it's five wickets oh, and actually seven run outs. Okay. So, you take those. So, uh, do,
0: I, do I get the run outs? I think as you do, well? yeah. yeah we'll give, the, we'll give you the run outs. <laughs>
7: <laughs> so, when it comes to the last over of an innings do you always want to have the ball in your hand for that um
0: depends who's at the other end um i think i mean obviously look it's a it, it can be a, a nice over to bowl if you're bowling at tail enders sometimes because you feel like you can maybe like we've just spoke about there pick up a couple of of cheap wickets potentially um you know you do do your hard yards in in a lot of your other overs bowling at obviously the best batsmen sometimes it's a good opportunity to pick up some maybe cheap wickets um but at the same time, it's also a tough over to bowl because a lot of the time it creates momentum for you, whether it's obviously your first innings uh, leading into the second innings batting. You know, you can create some momentum as a batting side or as a bowling side. So, as I said there, if you're bowling at someone that's set, it can be a tricky over to bowl because, you know, if someone's 100 not out or 70 not out and they're seeing the ball very well and they're a world-class player, you literally have no margin for error. Um, I think you have to embrace that. The mindset's probably the big thing. You know, if you if you don't want to bowl it and you're not willing to, you know, take that challenge on, then you are gonna more than likely go for runs or or not execute your skills as well as you'd like.
7: Are you kind of looking at Owen Morgan in, in the kind of you know, 47th, 48th over and kind of catching his eye a little bit?
0: Um, yeah, I think for the last probably for the last ten overs you you're constantly keeping an eye on the captain and and kind of keeping an eye on the game, keeping an eye on what the batsmen are doing who's left to come, how many wickets are the opposition down. You know, These are all the things that go through your mind probably in the last 10 as a bowler, particularly when you know you've got probably, I know a lot of the time I've still got four to bowl in the last 10. Um, so you know you've got a big role to play and a big job to do. So um, you know you keep an eye on the captain, you keep an eye on maybe try and grab him at the, you know, around about the 40th over and kind of get his thoughts on what he's thinking regarding what overs you might likely to bowl. Um, but also at the same time, you also need to be a little bit I suppose fluid in terms of being open-minded to, to bowling both ends, um, and at different batters at different stages. You might come back for a one-over spell, then have to finish three from the following end. You know, you kind of have to be open-minded to the whole situation. So, if you're in the 49th over
7: and you know you've got the final over, what's going through your mind at that point?
0: Um, I suppose just trying to keep calm, really, um, trying to again assess the situation that's in you know who's batting at the other end where does he like to score his runs what are his strengths what are his weaknesses and kind of keep that clear clear method in your head on what you'd like to to deliver you know what skills you you like to bowl is it is the surface more you know helpful to the slower deliveries in that in in this instance or is is it the yorkers which are going to be best um, you know, is there a big bigger boundary than one side? All those things go through your mind, particularly in that, you know, if you're gonna bowl that, that all important last over sometimes. Um, you know, you have to although there's a lot going on in your head, you still need to remain calm and think of your strengths as well. A lot of the time you think of what the batsman wants to do, but you know, a lot of the time think about what you need to do, your strengths, what you're good at at, um, at executing and try and deliver it.
7: And obviously there's a big difference isn't there between Bowling at the end of the first innings, you know, if you're bowling first and then and then if you're defending as well. I mean, has there been a moment when, particularly when you're defending, it's it's just you know, you felt, wow, this is look at you looked around and you looked at the crowds and the floodlights and thought, this is, you know, I'm right at the heart of the action
0: here. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's part, I mean, sometimes it it all goes in a blur as well, you know. Sometimes you'll finish a game and think wow what ha- what happened there like that all happened in a bit of a flash and you know sometimes you'd like to enjoy it a little bit more there's other times when you go around the park and you'd like to be swallowed <laughs> up into a hole and taken off the field but I suppose that's the the pressures of being a, a death bowler and a, an international bowler you know you have to take the the rough the smooth so to speak there are going to be occasions where you're you're the hero and there are going to be times where you know you're going to be on the wrong end of it and um, I think if you embrace that as a as a player and as a bowler, I think you're you're in a better space and a better headspace to try and deliver your skills. But yeah, there are occasions. I remember a time in Sydney when we we I think I was defending maybe 12 or 13 off the last over, and I was down at final leg on in the 49th over, uh, and had copped abuse the whole game from from the. Uh, from the fine leg boundary and the Australian supporters as you'd expect Um, and yeah they were just into me saying oh you're going to lose it for England you know you're going to don't worry Wokes ball in the next over we're going to you know all this sort of chat in your head and you just you know you have a bit of banter with the crowd but at that point you've got a job to do and you try and you know just focus on what that skill is um, unfortunately, in that instance, I managed to defend the score, so it wasn't too bad. But
7: you say that so modestly, so that must have been brilliant. Did you look back down to, to where those guys uh, yeah, were? At
0: I did. But by that point, they've all exited the seats <laughs> and, and, and headed up into the stands and, and have disappeared. Which you know, sometimes it would be nice to walk over and shake their hands and go, "Yeah, thanks, thanks very much." But you know, as part of the game, as part of being an international sportsman in any any sport, I'm sure abuse is, is thrown from the crowd occasionally. In particular, in England Australia games. So. Um, yeah, that was a you know a moral victory which you you win and you just I suppose it's a bit of pride for yourself rather than um, having to go over there and, and rub it in their noses.
7: Is, is there a kind of a par total so going into that final over? So you said that on that day it was twelve. You know, is there a minimum where you think? Yeah, I'm, I comfortably I'm defending that one.
0: Um, well, there's no as long as it's above thirty six you're uh, you're happy. <laughs> uh, keep your foot behind the line and you don't roll no ball or, or wides, you'll be uh, you'll be okay. But. Um, no i think realistically obviously each game you know is different there'll be times when the surface is you know defending 6 on a certain surface against a tail ender might be you know you might be still in your favor but i think generally speaking i think probably double figures as a bowler going into the last over gives you a gives you a chance because you know it's probably it's probably likely one of your balls might go to the go to the fence and go to a boundary or you know have a little bit of bit of hard luck there might be a nick for four so i think you have to allow yourself a boundary at some point because you might it might be a bad ball or it might just be a bit of bad luck on your behalf uh so i think i think i always feel that if you've got double figures to work with through at 10 11 um you know you're in with a in with a good chance but at the same time you still need to deliver your skills regardless
7: at the start of that final over, you know, say so say it's around about twelve that you're defending. Are you, is is Owen coming and talking to you? Is he having a a chat to you at that point? What, what does he say to you?
0: Yeah, well, I think we have the chat before the over starts on what we feel is going to be the best mode of of operation. Um, you know, whether as I've spoke about there, whether it's going into the pitch, is it the Yorkers that we need to to try and find on this surface? Um, and we'll discuss that right at the start of the over. Um, and generally, if it you know, if it's going well, and you know you're bowling, you're bowling well. He, he might not come up to you every single ball, but um, you know he probably comes up to you at a minimum two or three times in that over just to double check the plan, double check whether I'm still thinking the same things. Do I need to change it? Do we need to tinker with the field slightly? Um, and to be honest, I, I know I've, I've, I've spoken about this before with, with Owen, but it's one of his strengths as a captain is is in those moments in particular. He's very good at coming up to you and you know double checking what. What you'd like to, to to deliver out there in the middle, but also what he thinks might work. But also he's he's very good at a bit of give and take. You know, he'll obviously have in his mind what he wants, but then he knows that you're the one that's got to deliver the skill with with ball in hand. So, you know, he's happy to not put the pressure on you as a bowler to decide what you want, but give you the opportunity to to deliver what you want. So, um, yeah, that's great, great strength of his.
7: Have you ever changed your mind when you're coming into bowl when you when you're thinking? OK, yeah, this is going to be a Yorker. And you thought, no, no, I'm going to change this up this a little bit here.
0: Yeah, there has. But there are the times generally when you get it wrong, to be mm. brutally honest. Um, you know, if 99% of the time now, or even, I mean, I like to think 100% of the time, but there are probably the very rare occasions where you change your mind. But, I, you know, if I was trying to tell kids or, or children how to play the game and how to bowl the death or teach anyone to try and bowl the death, it would be to... Decide what you're going to bowl at the end of your mark and go and deliver it and don't don't change at all, you know, halfway through or in your in your load up as to what you're going to bowl. Um I think if you're clear at the end of your you run up what you want to go and bowl and you go and bowl it. And if it goes to the fence, you know, from a good execution, then you hold your hands up and say, well played to the other batsman, you know. And if you haven't nailed your Yorker and you've bowled a little bit short and it's in the slot, you know, you have to walk back and say, you know what, I got that wrong. I'll try and Try and bowl it again, but but get it right this time. Um, as soon as you're starting to get a bit of a clouded mind and running in, unsure of where you're going to bowl, I think that's a, that's a bad place to be.
7: Mm-hmm. And it's a mental game as well. So so ha- so how do you keep yourself calm? Final ball, four to win.
0: I think you know having been in this situation quite a few times is more that is just honing in on that exact skill that you're trying to to produce. Um, You know, whether it be a wide Yorker, you know, a lot of the time if if they need six to win or four to win, you probably are going to get away from the stumps just in case you do get it a little bit wrong. Um, But I think it's just, I mean, I use visualisation quite a bit at the end of my run-up is kind of just visualising that ball going into the hole, you know, what we call the hole, the Yorker length, um, and almost seeing the batsman dig it out. And that's something which I've used in the past, which I I find has worked. You know, don't get me wrong, it hasn't worked 100% of the time, but, you know, I think you go back to the... To the process that you know has worked in the past, and um, that's something which I've certainly done is that visualization of of the skill being executed well.
7: And do you think it helps that you're quite often the batsman who's batting at the death? You know, so like like you and Liam Blunkett did the other day at Cardiff.
0: Yeah, I think that can that can be beneficial um, because you obviously have, in particular, a field set in your head where you you know what ball you're going to to bowl, um, and sometimes that does telegraph what you're going to bowl. But I think as a bowler that batting at the death gives you a I suppose not an advantage but it kind of you know what the bowler's going through you know what sort of emotions are going through his mind you know that if you if you're you've gone for a few boundaries for the first few balls you deliver you're under pressure to deliver your skill and um, I think as a batsman you, you get on top of a of a bowler like that and you've been there before you kind of can use that to your advantage and I think like I said about the about the field placings you know you can look at a field and think right he unless he's going to bluff me, which obviously can be done, he's going to bowl, you know, a wide Yorker here or a short ball and you try and use that to your advantage. Mm.
7: So we've, we, you picked out a, a moment that it all went well. So yeah. Sydney, you know, defended 12 easily. Well, I don't know about easily or not, but you, but you defended yeah, was, that, yeah, that 12 yeah, yeah. and that feeling at the end must have been really nice. Was there a moment when it, it didn't happen and you thought, I mean, because the contrast in emotions must be huge.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think probably one that that I remember quite vividly is uh, in New Zealand, in Hamilton. They needed ten off the last over, uh, bowling at Mitchell Santa, Santa And um, my first ball, I executed my Yorker perfectly well, uh, and he dug it out and got an inside edge, and it went past short fine leg for four. Um, and then my next delivery, second ball of the over, I bowled, tried to bowl the same ball. Yorker missed it um, into the slot, and he hit it for six, and the game was over. So, you know, in that in that. Mindset, in that instance I I remember thinking well you know the first ball I bowled was the exact skill I wanted to to, to bowl and and executed it very well and it still went for four, the next ball I got wrong went for six and you know sometimes that's just going to happen and it's almost hero to, to zero literally is you know in a matter of a couple of balls you can lose a game of cricket but I think having experienced those you know those moments in games can you know can only benefit you moving forward you know Even now, I look back and think, you know, I didn't do a huge amount wrong. You know, I I executed my first first ball. My second ball was wrong and and got it completely wrong, and and it went for six, and you lose the game. But, you know, you you live and you learn. I wouldn't have tried to change it uh, in terms of the delivery I tried to bowl. I just executed it better. The TMS podcast at the Cricket World
3: Cup. In a while, we'll hear from former Zimbabwe captain, Tatenda Taibu, who's got a warning for the future of cricket in South Africa. But Andy Zaltzman, our quest to find a listener to this podcast from every country in the world continues. This comes from Harpel Verdi who uh, writes, following on
2: from the shout-outs on listeners tuning into the TMS podcast from all over the world, I wanted to be sure that you've ticked Luxembourg from the list of European countries. I've been blasting the TMS theme tune out on the bathroom speaker. The perfect way to start mornings, although my wife is not best impressed. The TMS theme tune, I had that played at, um, well, my wife and I had it played at our wedding disco when we uh, when we got married. Perfect. How many perfect times? Perfect one to How many get times? people on the dance floor. Oh, just on a loop for about eight hours. <laughs> And did they go on the dance floor or not? Well, they—I mean, yeah, they did. Well you push?
3: Did. You had to push people up. Oh no, it's just—it just calls all civilized people to to get funky. I'm afraid we've already got Luxembourg though, Harple. Um Perhaps that means we've got half the population <laughs> of Luxembourg. Mike Lopez, I've just listened to your podcast on my drive from my holiday base in the beautiful city of Dubrovnik in Croatia. Brian Waddle's going there after the World Cup to the stunning. Kravica waterfalls in Bosnia and Herzegovina. It may have been only a day trip into the country, but I hope that still counts. Yes, it does. So we've got Bosnia Herzegovina now. My partner and I started the drive very early to get there ahead of the crowds and the dulcet tones of Sir Curtly complimented the wonderful scenery on the drive and helped in their part keep me alert during the two and a half hours, although the same tones helped my partner, who is not a cricket fan, have a little snooze. I'm not sure I'm going to tell curtly that she's probably for the best as she doesn't like the mountain roads john Pears uh, says in an effort to place a further flag on the listeners map i'm currently catching up on the podcast while in transit in luanda angola fantastic well done john jane robinson earlier i heard you berate a fan for listening to cricket on his honeymoon in some far-flung land nothing wrong with that when we left our wedding reception on the 1st of september 1973 now i remember this day very clearly the 1st of September 1973 uh, to go on honeymoon our very first priority was to find TV or radio coverage of the Gillette Cup final being held that day, kind regards and thanks to Jan Robinson, Mrs. after all these years and the reason I remember that, it was Gloucestershire beating Sussex by 40 runs Mike Proctor scored 94, Tony Brown 77, no one else scored more than 11, I remember listening to the conclusion of that match on the radio on the way back from a holiday in Cornwall and remember Tony Gregg being run out by Jim Foote, To have that as your very first priority on honeymoon. Very first?
2: I can understand that. Alan Pamplin not being aware of which of the 70 odd countries you have not had a check in uh, from yet. I thought I would check in from here in Panama where my wife and I are visiting her family. When I worked here in the early 2000s I was one of but a handful of spectators at the first ever international cricket tournament that country had ever hosted involving amongst others Bahamas, Costa Rica, Panama and
3: Bermuda. Well that's the hover cover coming on here at Edgerton it's nearly dark so Alan Pamplin isn't aware of the countries we haven't had a listener from yet here we go there are 66 including some test playing nations on you go, Andy. All oh, right, it's okay. me. you again. Af- yeah.
2: Afghanistan, Albania, Algeria, Antigua and Barbuda, Bangladesh, Belize, Benin, Burkina Faso, Burundi, Cabo Verde, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Chad, Comoros, Congo, not the DR Congo, the Congo, um, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, yes, that's the, the north bit, uh, Djibouti, El Salvador, Equatorial Guinea, Eritrea. Um, Swaziland, Gabon, the Republic of Gambia, uh, Grenada, Guatemala, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, uh, for Guinea fans out there, there's two to tick off, um, Haiti, Honduras, Iran, Kiribati, Kuwait, Libya, Liechtenstein, Lithuania, Madagascar, the Marshall Islands, the Federated States of Micronesia, easily my favourite Federated States in the world, Nauru, Nepal, Nicaragua, Niger, Palau, Paraguay, Moldova, St and Nevis, uh, St Lucia, San Marino, Saltomia, and Principe, Senegal, Serbia, the Solomon Islands, Somalia, Sudan, Suriname the uh, Syria, Togo, Tonga, Tunisia, Turkmenistan,
3: Tuvalu, Uruguay, Vanuatu, uh, Venezuela, Yemen and Zambia. So if you're in any of those countries then email us tms at bbc.co.uk and let us know whether you've listened to the podcast. There's still quite a few to tick off but we've still got quite a long time left in this World Cup, still two and a half weeks left of group matches. Now, I had a chat today with former Zimbabwean captain tender Taibu about the decline of cricket in Zimbabwe. He's just written a, a book, an autobiography. He talked about the alleged corruption in cricket administration in that country, but he also had a warning for their neighbours.
8: I reckon South Africa will go a similar way to Zimbabwe because, you know, if you look at the, the number of players that you're, you know, that they're losing, um, not, not players that have then, you know been in the national team but players that have been on the brinks and players that have not didn't go on to play uh, international cricket um with you always need your human resources and south africa is losing their human resources now to give you a good example if you look at the county system here there are 40 if my my numbers are correct there are 40 players from south africa now the second uh, to that is West Indies with nine players. Now you take those those 40 players from South Africa, they're good enough to be in the South African setup. So you've taken the 40 of some of the best and you replace them with other 40 that are under these 40. That weakens the South African competition, the South African first class system. Um, and a, a weak first class system uh, does not produce a great national team so and I, I reckon they will continue um, they will continue losing players if nothing is done either by you know the the, the, the cricket board or by ICC
3: well that was Tatenda Taibu who's book Keeper of the Faith Cricket Conflict and God in Zimbabwe's Age of Extremes is out now Nathalie Jumanas was listening to that start warning there from Tatenda Taibu about for South African cricket how do you react to that
1: well, I think, I think what he's saying is probably a little bit extreme in itself. Um, I think to say that South African cricket might go the same way that Zimbabwean cricket has gone is very extreme because, one, it's not just about the exodus of players, it's also about the administration itself. And I think South Africa in general have had pretty good governance they've made sure that the the administrative um, sort of processes are in place they've been very sort of democratic about um, making sure that the board is there's the dependent members the independent members you know those those sort of things but uh, to say that it's going to go the same way as Zimbabwe is, is quite extreme. Yes, there's been an exodus of players in terms of coming to England to play, either as an overseas player, possibly, or a coal pack player, which is something that South Africa have been concerned about, and you can understand why. But at the same time, as many as yes, there's a lot of players that have come to England, how many of them would have actually played in the South African side? There's a few that did play. How many of them would come back? I don't think there would be that many. Carl Abbott would be one that South Africa would have really regretted. Duan Olafia, there's, 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 that those are two big names. Riley Rousseau, maybe Colin Ingram. Maybe that's about it, yep. I would think. So... I don't I think that, I think to say that it's going to go the same direction as Zimbabwean cricket I think for me that's a little bit extreme
8: the TMS
2: podcast at the Cricket World Cup download and subscribe via the BBC sounds app
1: for a new episode every day.